BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I'm delighted to talk again to Sheikh Hamza Karamali. You're most welcome, sir. Thank you for having me again, Paul. It's always a pleasure to be here. Well, welcome back. Uh, for those who don't know, Hamza is the founder of Basira Education. Uh, he lives in Istanbul, where he trains parents, teachers, and scholars in high schools, weekend religious schools, and a variety of other educational institutions how to show their students why Islam is true. He's developed a textbook, an online uh, teacher's portal, and is on a mission to train 10,000 teachers. And I'll link to his work in the description below. Hamza will be speaking today about Imam Malik Ibn Anas, the great jurist of Medina. And he's the founder of the Maliki School of Islamic Law. He is most famous for his book, Al Muwatta. Here's my copy here. Um, this is a good translation by Aisha uh, Bewley. There we are. It's that thick in English. Uh, this, the Arabic text is not here, just the translation. Um, so this book, uh, Al-Muwata, uh, is a, a complete record of the legal and social parameters of the original Muslim community in Medina. It's both the first book of Islamic law and the first recorded collection of Hadith. So who was Imam Malik and why is he important? Over to you, sir. So you um, introduced him very well, and um, the answer lies in your introduction. So Imam Malik, um, he is he has he's known as the Imam of Darul Hijra. Darul Hijra means the place where the emigration happened to. So mm -hmm. the Muslims were persecuted in Mecca, and then they emigrated. And the emigration, the Hijra, is the event from which Muslims have dated their calendar, and that's very significant. Uh, we'll see some of these dates today, inshallah. Um, but and the reason why it's significant is because when the hijrah happened, then um, the Muslims they came to a place where they could freely practice their religion. Everybody venerated the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. People didn't stand in his way, and he could teach publicly, and the religion could be practiced publicly. And he mm -hmm. taught, and um, and the. And there was the, the companions who he taught, they lived around him, they were transformed by him. And uh, it's the, um, it's the, it was a, it was the city of the Prophet, وسلم, the city of his companions. And um, in the, uh, the companions, they lived in Medina, it was the first capital during the uh, era of Abu Bakr, during the, who rules for about two years, two and a bit. And then um, Omar, during his time, he rules for about 10 years. 
he forbade the companions from leaving the city. He said that I need you because before he would make any decision, he would consult. Um, you know, um, quite democratic, um, and uh, and so he would only send them on on a need basis. Um, and so, uh, and then in the time of the next caliph, they did scatter, they went abroad, um, but uh, Medina remained the spiritual center of the Muslim world, the center of knowledge. And it was um, full of knowledge of the hadith of the Prophet because that's where he lived. You could point and say where this is where this happened and this is where this happened and this is where this happened. And people remembered it and there were memories and uh, the, the effects of his messengerhood were felt there. So it was a it was the spiritual and knowledge center of the Muslim world. And Imam Malik, he learned from um, the teachers there and he became the Imam of that place in his time. And that's very significant because it means that um, everybody, um, you know, everybody wants to study with him and people and, and his knowledge spread all over the Muslim world because people, when they come every year to do Hajj and more frequently than that, they come to do Umrah, they stop by in Medina and they visit uh, the, where the Prophet is buried, they give him salams. And while they're there, they would say, you know, what's there to do? Um, and if so they would the, they would say what's there to do but you go listen to Imam Malik and so mm -hmm. people from all over the world would come to listen to him and he lived a very long life uh, for almost 90 years um, and he was uh, he was acknowledged by all of the scholars of Medina as the most knowledgeable among them and, can I, can I interrupt you? you mentioned that, uh, he lived a very long life. So when was when did he actually when was he born? Uh, and and how does that compare with say the, the passing of uh, the Prophet Muhammad upon whom be peace? What yeah, was the, he, he was born in the ninety third year after the Hijrah. Nine, oh, 93rd, Wow. Mm -hmm. But that's remember the prophet. The, the the date is from the Hijrah. Yes. And the prophet lived ten years after that. Ten right. and a bit. Right. So that so he is eighty three years after the prophet. Right. Right. Really, seriously early data. yeah and and so he studied with people who studied with the companions of the prophet right. so there was generally two people and that's why so that's why the muatta is really important because um the the chains of transmission are short so yeah. when uh so the muatta is is actually it's commonly memorized and uh, the hadith yeah. is memorized with their with their chains of transmission so a book like bukhari is the chains of transmission are difficult to memorize because there's a longer distance. But in Muatta, you have some very short, and they're all known, and they're all people in Medina. So, uh, so the Muatta has has uh, three hundred about three hundred narrators in it. About hundred of them are companions. Thirty of those are women. There's a lot of female women narrators in the Muatta. Uh, Imam Malik studied with many women, and uh, the uh, so so in this and and they're all from Medina. They're all Medina except six. So when you, so the story of who Imam Malik is, is really, it's the Muatta, it contains a story of it because you, you get, you gain an understanding of who his teachers were and who, what they did and who they learned from and what he was doing. And you can picture what it was like to live um, at that time. So the, the, this is the the first, uh, the first recorded collection of Hadith that we have now. Um, so it's, it's much earlier than the, the famed Sahih collections of Bukhari and Muslim. This is much earlier. So the idea mm -hmm. that Bukhari and Muslim are the earliest collections is not actually true. We have 
a much. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Earlier collection there by Ibn um, Abbas. Ibn Malik. Ibn Malik. Ibn Abbas, yeah. Um, so Imam Malik, uh, people, um, you know, what did he look like? Um, he he had blue eyes, and he was wow. fair, and he was tall, and he was from Yemen, and he was bald. So he's actually from Yemen. He wasn't. Um, well, yeah. He's so from Yemen. In the area, from the area around Medina, I mean. Yeah, he was born in Medina, but he's from Yemen. Yemen at that time in the Arabian Peninsula was a. Um, very prosperous green area yes. uh, of uh, previous civilization. So he came from there, and the people that he he's uh, he was born in Medina. He settled there, so he's Yemeni. He's not uh, he's not Qurayshi. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Okay, I've learned something today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, Imam Malik, I thought that what we can do. I had there's a number of stories that I want to tell about him that are important. But I thought maybe what we can do is we can just um, jump into the the muatta and look at the first hadith and i'll use that as a way to tell you about who he was okay. so this, this is the first hadith here we right? go so i'm uh, alhamdulillah I, I just started um i studied the muatta with my with my teacher and um we're going through it now here in istanbul we had a first class this uh, friday we have a weekly class and uh, one of the students he's uh, memorizing the muatta so every before every class he comes and he uh, recites the hadith that are going to be um, that are going to be studied studied from memory with all of the names, um, wow. and it's very uh, very very nice to see very nice um, experience. And so we did this hadith, and so I'll read it out in English. So it goes like this: According to Malik ibn Anas, Ibn Shihab reported that one day Umar ibn Abdul Aziz deferred the performance of the obligatory prayer. Upon doing so, Arwa ibn Zubayr came to him and told him that Al Mughira ibn Shorba, and so now. Most of you are probably already lost. It's like name, 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 name. You know. Now I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna um, test you, Paul. I'm gonna say say it back from memory. I, I, I would have failed the test miserably. I'm sorry. I, my pronunciation <laughs> Arabic would have would have been painful to Arabic listeners. No, 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 no. You have been spared that ordeal. I'm glad to say. <laughs> no, not at all. But uh, but this is this is what they would do. So they would. So this thing, Imam Imam Shafi'i was a student of of Imam Malik. And he came when he was like 10, 11 years old, he came to Medina and he recited the entire collection, currently 2000 hadiths, but it was more than that earlier. And he visited Imam Malik, he said it all, all from memory. And this was, this was something that was normal, Imam, because at this time, memorization is needed. These hadiths, just before Imam Malik, the way that they're collected is 
that you look for people. So, uh, so Imam Malik, he was fortunate to be in Medina, but elsewhere people would go, they would travel and they would go, they would search, go to the cities. Is, who is it that has met somebody who's met somebody who's met, who's met the Prophet وسلم, and what, what, what do they have to say about from him? And they would come and they would hear, they would go here, they would go there. And so you had students of Hadith, they would travel the world and they would collect Hadith and they would have their own collections. And then they would be, and then they would, certain of them would become prominent uh, scholars. And then the next generation students would come and kind of do the, do the tour and, and learn. And it would continue, would continue like this. And um, so there was a, uh, so that some of them would record, many of them, particularly in the early period, they, they, would, they would just remember. And memorization was needed regardless because at this time you don't have a printing press, there's no indexes, there's no nice fonts, there's no bold, there's no italics. All you have is what you write down. And, uh, and so, and if you've, and if you've written down 40,000 hadiths with their change of transmission, you better know them really well because you, you, you need to know and, and it, it, because, and the only way that you can know them well is if you've memorized a lot of them. So the, the, the scholars of hadith, this is why they, they have, memorization is so important because this is the only way that you can, you can like keep your, keep tabs on what, 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 it, what, what's happening. And when you, when you see some of the things that they, the way that they critique hadiths is they mention a narrator and they say, well, wait a minute, this narrator, I've seen him in this hadith and this hadith and this hadith and this hadith. And he narrates the hadith and there's other narrators who, who also have, who've narrated all of these hadiths and he's always off by a couple of words. And so now I know that this narrator, when I see him in a chain of transmission, I need to be careful. I need to, I need to search for corroboration before I accept it. And so they, so not only do they have they memorized the hadith, but they know the people, they know who the person is. And so when, 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 when Imam Malik is narrating this and people are studying this, they know who all these people are. And so I wanted to kind of give you like a snapshot of what, mm. what, what this is to understand what's happening. So the mm. first person here, Ibn Shihab, Ibn Shihab, he's, he's Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri. He's one of the teachers of Imam Malik. Ibn yeah. Shihab al-Zuhri is, um, he is the first person to begin uh, comprehensively documenting the hadiths that he collected. Before him, people would hear, they would memorize, they would write some things down and people would come to him. But he lived in a time uh, when uh, the chains were starting to get long. And uh, there was uh, so the, 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 the caliph at that time, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, very important figure who's in this chain. And this is why this hadith is really important. Um, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, he was a, um, he was, he ruled for two and a bit years. And he came in the middle of the Umayyad period. And he's just, you know, just amazing because uh, he, he left his life of luxury. He removed that you could just walk into him and talk to him. He returned all of the money uh, all that was that the Umayyads had gathered. He said, this belongs to the, to the citizens and where you can't just take advantage of their wealth and build castles, put it back into the treasury. And, um, and so, uh, so it's, it's, uh, and this is happening like in full view for everyone to see. So he was, uh, he's one of the, um, one of the figures that of our history that we should know. And he was a scholar and he grew up in Medina. He studied in Medina. So, uh, so he is, so he, during his caliphate, which was just two and a bit years, he, mm -hmm. he feared that 
the knowledge of hadith of the sunnah of the prophet وسلم, would be lost so he yeah. did a he issued a state command and he said and he uh, he said to to the scholars at that time write, write down the hadiths and so and and one of the people one of the prominent people who he commanded to write down the hadith was this figure called ibn shihab az-zuhri who malik is who's one of malik's teachers so ibn shihab in his time he just he just comprehensively like making like a database and write everything that he knows that he's right he's writing it down he's on a mission to write everything down mm. and then this this so it's and but this writing is then when he teaches to people he people can copy it facilitates transmission but you still have to kind of convey it to them in person um so uh so this happens we know umar ibn abd al aziz what what are aziz's dates do we know when he was ruling for example yes so uh, umar, umar ibn abd al aziz he um imam malik was like about eight nine years old when he died oh. so so if so he died in the about 100 101 after the hijri so this is happening in the year 99 after the Hijri, like it's happening around, so 80, uh, 80 um, uh, 90 years after the demise of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Okay, so, very, very early indeed, yeah. Yeah, and so he he met the companions. Umar ibn Abdul Aziz met companions. So he's living in a time when there's people who met people who met the Prophet. Right. And so he, he, he commanded things be written down. And so Ibn Shihab did this comprehensive thing what Imam Malik is like second generation, and there's a group of other scholars who are second generation. They took what uh, Ibn Shihab and others had done, and they arranged it. And they, so so if you, the Muatta that you held up, it has chapter headings. Uh, and so he he organized it. And so it became a book that can be, uh, that, that somebody who wants to learn about what the Prophet said about the religion can reference, look up. You can it, it's easy to use yeah. and um and because um because imam malik uh, so imam malik was a uh so and and then it this became a means of transmission so now what happens is before before imam malik you have to go person 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 but now you have this amazing scholar malik who's 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 gathered like hundreds of thousands of hadiths and from them chosen the two thousand best ones and arranged them and they're really authentic and so you so what so what do you want the first thing you want is instead of going person to person to person i want all of those and they're there in a book so then mm -hmm. the book comes to be transmitted so there's a so so he's the so this is why this is the earliest it's the earliest hadith collection in this book form that's been written down that's been transmitted that we have available now yeah. so it's so it's like uh, after the quran it's 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 like the earliest book. And it's interesting, um, but we, uh, I mean, uh, I, I could be wrong, but doing a bit of minimal research for this before online, and I discovered that, um, I think it was on the Wikipedia pages, uh, we actually have physical manuscripts now that go back to the time uh, of uh, Imam Malik himself, um, not necessarily in his hand. So the, the integrity of this text, Al-Muwata, is confirmed. It goes right back. We, we now have manuscripts that go right back to the time of, uh, of Imam Malik himself. Um, that may be true, but it's actually from the hadith perspective, the manuscripts are not uh, are not important right. because 
So what's happening is this is interesting. You're making a very interesting point here. So you're saying there's actually a different methodology here. So I'm saying it's really impressive. We have physical manuscripts that go back to. I'm not saying they're complete manuscripts, by the way. The ones I saw perhaps were fragments, but anyway, they at least they confirm what we have now. But you're you're, you're making a different point. I think this is really important. Yeah. So there's um in uh there's something called a chain of custody in modern court procedures. When uh, when somebody goes to a crime a detective or a police officer at a crime scene, he collects a piece of evidence. He has to take that evidence and put it in a bag and write his name on it. And then he takes that bag, and then it goes to the police station. It's placed in a safe place where nobody can 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 touch it. And if the lawyers or anybody else wants to examine it, there's a police officer comes in. They examine it, they write their name on it, that they handled it, they removed it at this time, they put it back at this time. And then when, when the evidence is presented to the judge in a court of law, it's presented with this chain of custody. So, and if you just present evidence to the, to the, to the judge without any chain of custody, it's inadmissible. He's going to throw it out of court. He said, how do I know it's from, you know, uh, you know, I wasn't there at the crime scene. How do I know that it's from the crime scene and it hasn't been tampered with? So, the the way that hadiths are transmitted it's never it's never like a book that you write it down and it's placed somewhere for somebody to discover you go into a store and you buy it, it, it that's not what happened what happened was that that you have you have somebody like a companion he had he knows something from the prophet and so he takes what he has and he delivers it to somebody else who writes it down and memorizes it memorizes it and then it becomes in his custody and then he then releases it to somebody else and it comes into his custody and it goes like this from person to person. And, and so the, the written form of it, writing is an aid to this person to person transmission process, but it's not, it's not the, so, so just merely finding a manuscript. Um, so if we were to discover a book of Hadith that nobody's ever heard of before, and it's, uh, it's uh, you know in some manuscript in some place in the Muslim world. It's it's like you can't do anything with it because yeah. <laughs> there's it's just it's just just like the court of law. The judge throws it out of court. Like we can't. You ha it has to be this person to person transmission, right. and that's what the, that's what the isnad process is. And it's not well understood. That's why Western historians they judge authenticity from how early it is. But right. for us. If you have something early and no chain of custody, well, it's not it's not useful. So it's very, you're, you're comparing here the Western tradition and the way uh, the fixation on uh, like what I, I said on on actual manuscripts and carbon dating the manuscripts and dating. But you're saying the Islamic uh, or the Muslim methodology is based on this kind of golden chains of transmission, where you have identifiable individuals who are known to be reliable, who lived and could have met this person. Lots of lots of criteria to check. That this is this chain actually is authentic, and great volumes have been written about this in the early centuries. I understand. So there's different methodology, but you're you're saying it's just as robust or more robust uh, because you have this personal transmission uh, and and care taken to and and also the the shortness of the uh, the chains in uh, Amwata are very very short. So we're not like dealing with five, ten people. We're dealing with just a couple of people at some points, and that really gives confidence i suppose to muslims that that they are uh when all these checks have been done and everything is verified and uh shown to be reliable that we have authentic transmissions authentic hadiths would that be fair enough yeah absolutely um and uh yeah 
So uh, if we um, so if if we if we kind of just go back to that to that chain that we were looking at, um, and if we were to so what's happening here is basically you have a you have Umar ibn Abdul Aziz who is who is a caliph, right? And he yeah. is meaning he's this ruler, and uh, he's in the mosque. Uh, other other reports they say that, and he's doing what he should be doing, which by the way is, it means that he's taking care of people. So somebody's coming to him and saying that, you know, I lost all my money. I don't have anything. Can you help me? He said, of course, that's what we're here for. He helps them. Somebody, they, uh, they've been wrong. Somebody stolen their line said, okay, let's look into it. So his, the way that, that, that he perceived his role was, I am here to facilitate and um, solve the problems of the citizens who have placed me here as a trust. And so this is what I'm doing. So he's doing this and the time for the Asr prayer comes in and he says, okay, let me just do this and then I'll pray. And yeah. there's somebody in with, with him, uh, Ur Urwa, I'll tell you about Urwa in a second. Urwa is there and he says, hey, Omar, you know, and, and this is, it's really, it's really amazing because it's like, it's a first name basis. Uh -huh. um, they're all they all it's not like sheikh so-and-so and and oh please I, I i pay you homage and you're so you're so great they just they talk they talk to each other on a first name basis and it's because it's a special time um this this is called the time of the early muslims the first three generations and imam malik lived in that time and so yeah. there's a there's a general uh there's a general uh you you can go to a caliph and Urwa can go 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 to umar and say Hey man, you're put your prayer first, and you have to you have you have to pray for and you know this thing you have to do you have to do it anyway. You have to pray anyway. Prayer is more important. That's why we're created. You should pray first. Yeah. And um and so it's 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 really um it's really amazing to see you know it's really amazing to see this and and it's it's and there's a conversation and it becomes part of the muwatta of Imam Malik and it's transmitted forever and becomes memorialized. He doesn't say like I've been humiliated or or it's it's part of what's happening. So so he's in so he's he's so Urwa comes up. Who's Urwa? Urwa is the Urwa ibn Zubair. Zubair, Zubair is one of the companions of the Prophet. He's one of the ten companions who were promised paradise here in Istanbul. Wow. When you go to the mosques, they have ten names of companions inscribed, and these are the ten who are promised paradise. And one of them is Az Zubair. He's his son. He's his son. Zubair's wife is Asma, the daughter of Abu Bakr. And she's yeah. the older sister of Aisha, the wife of the Prophet. Yeah. So, uh, so Urwa was orphaned and he was raised by his aunt Aisha. So his learning comes from Aisha. So he's one of the greatest scholars because he was taught by the wife of the Prophet. And so, so is Urwa ibn Zubair, he's recognized as one of the foremost scholars of Medina, and he's there in the court, it's not really much of a court, it's the mosque, uh, of, of, of Umar, and he's telling him that, you know, you should pray first, don't delay the prayer. And yeah. then he tells, he says that, and then he gives the basis for it. He says that I'm just, I'm not just, you don't have to accept this on authority of me, who am I? But there's something else that happened. There's somebody called, let me, if, let me just uh, over here to hear all the names. So uh, there's somebody else called Al-Mughira ibn Shorba. Al-Mughira ibn Shorba is a companion of the Prophet, but he died late. So um, he died, um, 
maybe I, I forget the exact date, but more more than uh, it, this is more than 50 years, 50, 60 years after the Hijra, he died. So he was young in the time of the Prophet. He lived a long life. And he at this time is the governor of Kufa. So he's also a governor. And he did the same thing that Umar did, meaning he's taking care of the affair, affairs of his citizens. And it's Asr time. And he says, okay, let me do this, then I'll pray. And another companion walked up to him, Abu Mas'ud and Ansari. That's the next one. And so he's, he's, yeah. an, he's an early companion. He, yeah. uh, and so he says to him, he says, what you're doing? Like, we should, you should be praying first. <laughs> so this is, this, the, the, the commentators, they say this is, this is an amazing hadith because you have two rulers being uh, advised by two scholars. Wow. And so, uh, so they're being told, and so you're, you're you, ha you have him. Uh, you say this, and then he narrates that the prophet, that that Gabriel taught the prophet the times to pray, and the prophet followed him. And then at the end, Umar says that um, uh, Urwa is. Well, I, I've never heard that it was Gabriel who taught the prophet that the prayer times. And uh, you know, are you sure that this is right? Wow. And Urwa said yes. This I heard Bashir, the son of Abu Mas'ud. So in the English uh, translation, there's an Abu missing. Uh, say this. So here are the names. Here, here are the names in the that are all mentioned. Right. And of these names, two of them are not. They're not. They're they're the they're the rulers. They're not really narrating. Things are being said in their in their in their um, in their presence. And so this is this is the chain of transmission. Is Malik heard this right. from Ibn Shihab al Zuhri, uh, who heard this from uh, who heard from Urwa ibn Zubair. Who heard from Bashir ibn Masoud, the Bashir ibn Abu Masoud, who is a companion, he's an Ansari, who heard from his father Abu Masoud that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that uh, that um, that Gabriel came at this time and I followed him and he came at this time, and so when you when you kind of you look at this, it's such it's such a it's such a beautiful thing. I mean, there you have you have a community of people, generations of people, very careful. In what they're transmitting from the prophet and they're trying to you have a religious culture and it's this religious culture that is driving them to discover and you know what is it that he said how can we follow it and it's mm -hmm. happening everywhere and then it comes and then imam malik comes and he you know he writes it down he records it and then it becomes transmitted in this, wow. in this organized way um so imam malik uh, he was you know he lived a long time and uh, he, uh, people came from all over the world to study from him, and uh, and this this transmission, this muatta that you held up, there's actually many different um, transmissions of the muatta versions. So right. uh, what what we say, the versions of the muatta are not like the versions of the Bible, right? So, but what's ha what's happening is that Imam Malik, he is. He is, he's collecting the hadith that he thinks are the most important and reliable and people come from all over the world too and then every year he he narrates he edits it becomes more exacting he changes it he does it a little bit adds it a little bit here adds it a little bit there and and until uh, and so different people heard different hadiths from him at different times right. and the the one that you held up it's a narration the most famous narration right. by uh, someone called Yahya bin Yahya Al-Laythi, who is, um, who is uh, uh, Andalusian. He's from Andalusia. He's from Spain. Spain. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so what he, so he has a really fascinating story. So he, he's living in Spain 
in the time of um, of Imam Malik, and he studies the Muatta with his with his teacher, and his teacher said, "Why are you studying with me? Malik is still alive. Go go to study with him." He says, "Okay," and so he travels to Medina, and he studies directly with Imam Malik, and he's and and he's and he studies with him right at the end of his life. So he hears the final one of the final versions, right? And um, there's a uh, while there's a famous story that's told that that while Imam Malik is teaching and has these students from all over the world sitting, listening to the Hadith, writing it down, getting their own copies in person, chain of custody, there's an elephant that comes, somebody brings an elephant into Medina. And it's, um, and everybody says there's an elephant. And this is, you know, you don't have television, you don't have phones, you don't have internet. And so uh, everybody wants to see an elephant. Maybe mm -hmm. some of them said that, you know, it's in the Quran. So if I see an elephant, I'll understand the Quran because it's a surah. <laughs> The elephant and so everybody wants to see the elephant so Imam Malik says okay everybody go see the elephant and Yahya when Yahya everybody goes except Yahya he sits there and so he said why is it that you you know you don't you want to see the elephant you know everybody wants to see the elephant he said I didn't come here to see an elephant I came here to see you <laughs> wow. and so he didn't go and so um Imam Malik called him um the Aqilu Andalus, the intelligent person of Andalus, and that name stuck. Amazing. So, uh, so he studied with Malik and his students, and then he went back to Andalusia, and through him, the Maliki school spread in Andalusia. Before him, it wasn't; they weren't Malikis, but it, ha it was because of Yahya and Yahya and Lathi. Um, can, can, can I just, can I just, just pause for a second uh, and just indulge myself? I, I was looking at this uh, l last night, and I came across um, a hadith I've never heard before. And I'm not saying it's Sahih. I'm not commenting on it. It's just is in is in this collection. I assume it's reliable, and it's so sweet. I don't want to just to share it. It's not it's not very long, and uh, and uh, Ibn Malik gives the chain of transmission, which I won't repeat. Um, it's number uh, eighteen on page seventy nine. If you wanted to look it up in this particular edition, and he says that uh, someone had heard from Abu Huraira say, "I was going along with the messenger of Allah. May Allah bless him and grant him peace." When he heard a man reciting Surah Al-Ikhlas, uh, Surah 112, it's actually one of my favorite surahs. I'm just, I've memorized it and I, I use it in my prayers as well. The Messenger of Allah, may Allah bless him and grant him peace, said, it is obligatory. And I asked him, what is Messenger of Allah? And he said, the garden. I wanted to tell the man the good news, but I was afraid that I would miss the midday meal with the Messenger of Allah. And I prefer to eat with the messenger of Allah. Uh, may Allah bless him and grant him peace. When I went to the man afterwards, I found him gone. And it's so that's it. That's it. So uh, the, the messenger of God said, it is obligatory. What is the garden on this man? He, he recognized the man who was reciting uh, Surah 112, that he was a man of, he was going to go to paradise, basically. Uh, and, and the companion um, you know, wants to tell him, but he really wants to spend have lunch with the prophet more than that. It's like the elephant story, you know, it, it, how yeah. amazing I want to spend time with even more with the, the man himself. And the, but later on, he went, he, he, when I went to the man afterwards, I found him gone. So he never had a chance to tell this companion um, that he was guaranteed paradise. But it's just a, a lovely little story, which I've never heard of before. Maybe everyone else has heard it, but uh, it, no, it's, no. it's, it's yeah. in this uh, collection of, of hadith. That's 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 the um, that's the joy of reading books like this. And there's many other like there things that you know, I remember that kind of stuck with me. 
One of them, so Imam Malik doesn't just narrate hadith from the Prophet He mentions stories from the companions as well. So he mentions mm-hmm. from Abu Huraira, this, this, this thing that I always, I always remembered. And he says that there were people who came to visit him. And so he, his mother, Abu Huraira's mother prepared bread, bread and olive oil and some salt. And they served, uh, they served it to the guests. And these guests are coming. These are probably people from of civilization, from um, some place where they, um, you know, they have um, many different kinds of food on the table. And so they looked at the bread. And it's just, it's just, just he's serving us bread. And so, and he said, he said that, Alhamdulillahilladhi ashbana bil khubsi baada alam yakun ta'am ta'amuna illa al-aswadain. He said, all, all, uh, Allah, Allah be praised, gratitude to God for filling our stomachs with bread after the only thing that we used to eat were dates and water, the two black things. So, so, so many of the companions growing up in the desert, bread was a luxury, you know, to have, um, and we don't realize it, you know, so we eat bread and it, uh, carbohydrates. And, and so imagine that you're living on dates and water, you never become full. And uh, and so he's um, so it's just it's very it's a it's a snippet into their lives at that time that's very um, very nice to hear. And uh, there's another one that 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 I remember that that kind of uh, so everything in the Muatta is reliable um, according to Imam Malik. Imam Malik himself is saying all of this is reliable and it's all been checked um, except for four hadiths um, and these are four hadiths he narrates. Uh, without any chain of transmission, and they haven't. Others they have been checked; they're found elsewhere. But there's four they haven't. This is one of them. But according to Malik, he's saying that I think it's um, it's uh, it's reliable. So are, are, are these hadiths uh, used by Bukhari in his Sahih collection? Are, are they referenced? Are they part uh, actually, of his? Yeah, actually, like a, a very large number of them are found verbatim. They're in Sahih al Bukhari, right. Malik with his chain of transmission, and then. Bukhari has a couple of other narrators, so it's so right. so. There's um, it's just that same thing there, because so, uh, so, so when when certain people, some some missionaries sometimes say, ah, oh, your your earliest collections, Bukhari Muslim, you know, a couple of centuries later, actually we have a much earlier collection uh, yeah. of hadiths in there which are reliable, and they were used by later people like Bukhari Muslim in their Sahih collections. Um, so it's not true. We can actually date it within, as you say. Um, Ibn Malik uh, was born within 90 years of um, the Prophet's death or, or 80 years of Hijra, I think it was, you yeah. mentioned. So the, the, the gap is much narrower. But for you, of course, that's not the point anyway. It's this golden chain of transmission, the reliable handing on person to person of the of this, uh, of this these Hadith, the Isnad's what matters rather than the, the chronological yeah. data. That's right. And, and, uh, and Malik himself was exacting. So he... Right. He checked narrators, and so later scholars like Ahmad ibn Hanbal, if they they used to say that they used to check does does Malik narrate from this person, it means he's 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 reliable. And uh, and uh, and and, Ma- and Imam Malik, there's like there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people who narrated hadiths from him because he had so many students. So there's books that are written. There's a book that that are that they're called. There's a book called Gharaib Malik. Which means the hadiths that are narrated from Imam Malik, and only one person has narrated them. So, and what does that? It means that somebody made it up. He didn't say it because 
if it was something he was narrating and it's still amazing, everybody would be, everybody would know about it. Right. Uh, so, um, so that's why, um, and, and this is and, and a phenomenon like that. This is useful to understand because, because it gives you a picture that hadiths are known. They're in the public sphere. Everybody right. is, it's not just this. So Imam Malik has this chain of transmission and he's narrating it. And there's thousands of people who verify it because they've heard, they've gone to the same people and heard, heard the same thing. Um, can I ask, but you not mentioned so uh, uh, even um, uh, Hani, Abu Hanifa, I should say, who was earlier. I mean, there, there are four schools, aren't there? Abu Hanifa, Hanafi school and the Maliki school and the two other later schools. So um, Imam Malik is the eponymous founder of the Maliki school, obviously. And then we've got Abu Hanifa, the, the eponymous founder of the Hanafi school. What's the relationship between Abu Hanifa and Malik? That's what I was trying to get to. Historically, did they know each other? Were there, were there intermediaries where they were connected in some form? Um, it's, uh, there are, uh, it's said that they've met. Uh, it's narrated. They were contemporaries. Imam, Abu Hanifa was slightly older. Oh. And, uh, and so Imam Malik comes second. So he's the second one of them. And oh. they had uh, respect for each other. And uh, and uh, and you know, there's a famous story. I'm, I'm not sure of the authenticity of, of it, but it's frequently quoted that that they had a conversation. And Imam Malik, after that conversation, he said about Imam Abu Hanifa that if he wanted to convince you that that pillar is made of gold, he could do it. Meaning that he really, um, really learn it. So on this, on this, uh, you know, something that's related is that um, Abu Jafar al-Mansur, he was um, second Abbasid Caliph. Um, he visited uh, Medina and he made Hajj and he visited Medina and he asked for an audience with Imam Malik. He asked him some questions impressed with his answers. And he took this muatta and he said, I want this book to be copied and distributed all over the Muslim lands. And I want to force people to only follow the opinions that are in this book because the people of Medina have the most knowledge and you are the most knowledgeable people of Medina. Yes. yes. And, and Imam Malik said, don't do it. So why, why, did he say, why did he say that? He had this amazing collection of Hadith. Why on earth would he say to this ruler, don't do it, don't take this book, don't make it law in the land? Well, what would be the reason for that? He said that um, he said that people have uh, the the meaning is that the companions they scattered in the land they took their knowledge and each land has its own scholar who has done what I have done gathered the hadiths and given people given people answers and people are following the authorities in their areas and let them follow the authorities in their areas. And yeah. so what he's and what he's saying is he is saying that that he is approving of the ijtihad or the scholarly opinion of Imam Abu Hanifa, the scholarly opinions of all of these other all, all, all of these other scholars, acknowledges acknowledging them as learned people, and um, it's kind of like you know when we talked about Imam Abu Hanifa last uh, last class, you, you remarked on how civilized. You know it, the, the the discussions were so it's not like you know you don't follow this burn him at the stake and uh, imprison him and imposition of of uh, there's a there, there's a there's an academic scholarly exchange right. that's happening and there's free right. there's freedom to 
to come to uh, have. And so, you know, and this is, and so Imam Shafi, he's a student of Imam Malik. And he says about Imam Malik, he said, he says, He says, when the scholars are mentioned, then Malik is the star. And he studied with him. He's, he's a student. He has a, he has a little, little book in his collection. It's called Kitab Rad Ala Malik. The book refuting Malik. So, so I, I just like, I just like to think that, you know, that, that, you know, I, uh, you know, uh, you know, I teach somebody and then they write a book and they say refutation of Hamza and they <laughs> publish it, you know, no title, no nothing. And, you know, it's like people like how rude, like, how can you do that? He's your teacher. But in this time, Imam Shafi, he has the utmost respect for him. And he writes a refutation of Malik, calling him by first name, because that's what everybody's doing. Right. And, and this is, this is, um, this is uh, this is how like if if you if you if you if it's an academic community then then it you you undue veneration of a person it spoils the academic nature of it. And I think just to give a contemporary story with a very short isnad because I heard it from someone who was present um, and I won't mention their name but it it is a story about a certain very eminent Muslim academic at Cambridge University. I'm not going to mention his name. Because it could be someone else rather than the obvious one, but it just doesn't matter. And um, he was present. Um, this person I spoke to was present when this prominent Muslim scholar um, was approached by uh, someone else uh, in very flowery, flattering terms. He said, oh, Sheikh, you are so wonderful. You're just the most amazing person in the world. And you've done all these amazing things. And you're just, oh, you're so wonderful. And the the Muslim scholar, this was at a, a reception, a dinner or something, just sat there stonily, just didn't say anything. And at the end of this flattery, he just muttered a few words and just carried on eating. And the, the person who told me this story, oh, I remember who it is now, um, who is actually a scholar, Islamic scholar. I'm not going to mention his name either um, because this is just hearsay. But he said to me, the best way to speak to this eminent Cambridge scholar is simply to talk to him normally. Say, just use his name, just say Mr. X or his first name. Don't flatter him. Don't use all this flowery language. He really doesn't like it at all. And that's not the way to engage him in conversation. Uh, he can't stand it. Uh, and I can quite understand why he might not. And um, I hope that hasn't broken any confidence because this conversation took place publicly, I suppose. So, um, but I just what you said just reminded me of, of, of that, you know, this kind of flowery veneration. It, it really is not appropriate and people don't like it. And uh, particularly if you're on the receiving end of it, I suspect it's very wincy. Oh, you know, this is this is not true of me. I'm, you know, I'm, you know. Um, anyway, I just wanted to share that true story. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I wanted to say, tell you one more thing about about it. If, can you um, can you put up the slides again? Oh, yes, of course. So, so, so there's this, this, another hadith, hadith number three, or it's right. actually, you could say it's number two. It has the, so in this hadith, Malik narrates this hadith from somebody called Zayd ibn Aslam. So this is, this is really amazing, right? So Zayd ibn Aslam. So Zayd ibn Aslam is one of the teachers of Imam Malik. And it's, he had, he had a lot of knowledge of um, the Caliph Umar, Umar ibn al-Khattab. Um, and Imam Malik would spend time with him and saying, was it like this? And well, did he do this? And, and did he do this? And so how did he have knowledge of, of, of Umar? 
because Zayd ibn, Zayd ibn Aslam, Zayd is the son of Aslam. Aslam is a, uh, Aslam is a, uh, he's a freed slave of Umar ibn al-Khattab. So meaning that there was a battle and he was enslaved and he became the slave of Umar and then he became Muslim and he's freed. But what would he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do anything rather apart from serve this man Umar because he's the best person in the world. And there's a, and so he stays with him and he learns from him and he, and he becomes a scholar. And then in the next generation, he and his son, they're scholars. They're scholars who are the leaders of the Muslim community and Arabs are coming and sitting at their feet. So Zayd ibn Aslam, Bukhari narrates, mentions that uh, Ali ibn al-Hussein, this is Zainul Abidin. He is the, uh, he is the, the, the great grandson of the Prophet The great grandson of the messenger of God. He would go and he would sit at the, uh, sit in the in the classes of uh, of Zayd ibn Aslam, and people s remarked to him. They said that they said something. What what they said is not mentioned, but the context seems to say that well, he's a freed slave, and you have the noblest lineage of the world. You're like the great grandson of the prophets, or something. And he said that he said that um, a man should only sit with someone who benefits him in his religion, and so he's learning from from Zayd ibn Aslam, and it's not just him, Imam Malik, many of his teachers are, are like this. And I mean, so the African-Americans in the United States still haven't, haven't, uh, you know, received their, you know, become like this in America. But, but the, but in, in, in the Muslim lands, like these people, they come and, and in the next generation, they're, they're the leaders. And, so when people talk about slavery, it's just a very different phenomenon. And it's very, um, there's something really different that's going on here. So you mentioned, for example, the, 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 the golden chains of transmission. According to Bukhari, the golden chain of transmission, meaning the most authentic chain, is yeah. Malik from Nafi' from Ibn Umar. Ibn Umar is the son of, of, of Umar. And he had a freed slave called Nafi'. And, and Imam Malik is the student of Nafi'. He's the student, and he narrates hadith from him. And this becomes, this is the, it's recognized as the most reliable and authentic chain of transmission that you can, that you can get. Wow. Um, so, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, so I, I just, I, I thought that that was kind of a, an important thing to take out. And, it's just it's just very fascinating trying to uh, you know read through these asnas and read through these hadiths and what society was like and what they what they did. So this is this is the era of the the first um, three generations of Muslims. The Prophet, yeah. um, God bless him and give him peace. He said that the best of generations is my generation, the companions, and then those who follow them, and then those who follow them. Imam Malik is in this third category. Abu Hanifa was in the one before. So in, in in this and and then the hadith says that then after that, um, people they go to give testimony in a court of law, and they're in a hurry. Sometimes they swear first, sometimes they don't because they don't want to tell the truth. They just want to take somebody's wealth without right corruption, like just what we see everywhere in the world today. Um, um, but but in this in this special era, it's um, 
it's a very it's a very nice time. There's no um, there's no flattery. There's no artificiality. There's um, there's just um, and there's a, a very it's a very nice snapshot. And so Imam Malik in his Muatta, he kind of he captures that. And in the most blessed city, where he became the the most important uh, scholar, and people from all over the world came to learn from him. And that's why um, that's why he's important. And that's why. Okay. Thank you for that. I've got a question for you. And um, okay, so I'm I'm living in 2022. I got this uh, from Amazon. Okay, I just ordered it online. Now, there's a reason I'm mentioning this. I'm not being frivolous. I'm reading it. Okay, you talk about scholars teaching their students, people of knowledge, sharing their knowledge, person to person, reliable people. Here am I, one click away, I can order this online, which I've done. I've got it here. I don't have a teacher. I can just read through it, which I've done, not all of it. Is this is this good practice? It's, I mean, I get the sense this is not how knowledge is received or transmitted Islamically in the in the tradition. You know, just clicking on Amazon, getting the book. You know, I can get I get um, Sahih Bukhari online right in front of me. There, here am I on my own, just reading this stuff. Wonderful stuff for all the reasons you've said, but it I'm atomized. I'm just an individual doing it. Should I, my question to you is, would you recommend to viewers that they should order this book and read it? just like that or i mean is that an appropriate thing to do given the islamic tradition because we're not just talking about books in order of amazon are we we're talking about a, a, a tradition that is handed out down and explained and contextualized and interpreted in an authoritative way so how do we in this very postmodern world who can just click of an amazon button get this stuff through the post like i do that's not great is it so should we be re should we even be doing that or should we be looking for scholars to sit down and sit at their feet or sit with them and to learn? How should we deal with this incredible accessibility of this tradition now just through booksellers online? That's kind of my question. So the Prophet وسلم, said that he said he was I was only sent as a teacher. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he wanted to teach us our, our religion, he sent a book. But with the book, he sent a, a teacher. Because you can't understand how to live and realize it until you have somebody who shows you and answers your questions and you can talk to. So he, so that's so he taught the companions and then they learned and then there's this generational thing that's happening, and and that that's what Imam Malik is. And um, over time, uh, it becomes uh, finding those people becomes more difficult. But but that's where that's where true knowledge lies because when you when, when you when you sit and you talk and you have conversations then there's dots that are connected misunderstandings yeah. go away and you come to understand something in a completely different light yeah. so there there so there there needs to be as much of that as possible given somebody's circumstance and then right. if if somebody has that and they're talking to somebody then when they read they'll read in a different way because right? they have they have some kind of understanding They'll take a nice story like you took, right? And they'll 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 take benefit, but they'll know. But if they see something, so like uh, there's people who will take things from the muatta and completely out of context and um, and 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 cause doubts amongst um, amongst Muslims and and try to say that that you know these were bad people or the prophet is a bad person. Nothing can be further from the truth, and that's 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 what that's what you know. So when when you 
and that's what I hope that this conversation shows that this, there's something that something that's very special there. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's not. I don't. I, I. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say to anybody, don't order the books, but I would say that 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 you should be. A, there should be some kind of a connection and learning and conversation, and um, and then you know, and then you have you have confidence in in, in the tradition. And then you can anything you don't understand, you can ask. And if you don't know, you can say, "Well, I don't know." One day, one day, I'll one day I'll figure out. And you take something. No, that, that's uh, that's not a good answer. Uh, well, thank you very much uh, indeed for sharing your expertise. And um, just as a final uh, thing, I just want to uh, mention this book, a different book this time. Uh, inshallah, next time we will uh, be discussing uh, Imam Shafi's celebrated uh, work, uh, the Risala. Here's my copy. It says Treatise on the Foundation of Islamic jurisprudence this is incredibly important work uh which we're not going to go into now uh but inshallah this will be our next episode in this series we've been through now uh two of the eponymous founders of the hanafi school and the maliki school next we're going to look at the founder of the the shafi school but and, and why this work is so important in islamic law as it came to be developed during shafi's uh time so thank you uh, we're very much uh looking forward to you talking about that as well i'm looking forward to it myself until next time salam alaikum bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in virginia turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code champion 150 then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.